Welcome back to the last episode of season one of Generic Conversations. I can't believe it. I remember this show started off as an idea of, I think toward the end of 2019. And at the beginning of this year in 2020, I had ran my idea of this show to business coaches, to my friends, to my loved ones. And I remember the early stages of trying to find guests, and then scheduling them, and then hearing their wonderful conversations, their stories and life lessons. I had so many I needed this moments while I was talking with our guests, and even after I replayed the episode. And here we are, 15 episodes later, we are at the season finale of Generic Conversations. This season flew by so fast. To everyone who has contributed to the show as a guest or to my listeners, I want to thank you so much for your support. I don't know when season two is going to come back, but until then, I encourage you to do a couple of things while being on the off season. The first thing is to stay subscribed to this podcast, Generic Conversations, so that once my trailer episode for season two is out, you'll be the first to get notified. If you want to stay in touch with me personally, just check out the website, genericpodcast.com. Remember, generic is spelled with a J, that's J-E-N-E-R-I-C, podcast.com. And there you'll find all of my personal and professional social media links. I'd love to connect with you, and I'd love to keep the conversation going. Also, if you are looking for more podcast shows... I am actually hosting a number of podcast shows for the fall season. So here are a couple of shows I would recommend if you want to continue following my journey as a podcast host and as an entrepreneur. The first show is called The Thoughtful Entrepreneur. It is currently a daily show and starting around the time in November, I believe in late fall, you will start to hear my voice and I will have the fortune of interviewing six-figure entrepreneurs and business owners from all over the world. Just between you and I, I have already had a number of interviews with these incredible individuals, and so you are all in for a treat. Whether you are a new entrepreneur or you are looking to step up your business and grow a six-figure business, I highly recommend The Thoughtful Entrepreneur. Again, the show is already available, I will start hosting it toward the end of fall. I would love for you to subscribe and join me from there. If you are affiliated with the military community in any way, whether you had served, you were a military family, or you know someone in your family or your friends that is in the military, particularly the US military, consider checking out my other podcast show called Holding Down the Fort. This show is dedicated to military spouses and their families who are holding down the fort (laughs) for their service member so that they have a home to come back to after deployment. And so this is a wonderful show I've had the fortune of hosting for over a year now. And we like to provide knowledge, education, 
and resources to military spouses and families so that they can continue to make confident and informed decisions on their journey of the crazy military life. Because if you know anything about the military, military families are far from the average American family. So once again, that show is called Holding Down the Fort, and you can learn more about the show at holdingdownthefortpodcast.com. The last show is really my passion project that has grown exponentially as well, and that is called the Filipino American Woman Project. You can check out the show at tfawproject.com, and here is my opportunity to create space for American women of Filipino descent to share their story and life lessons. So if you notice anything about my shows, the common theme for all of my shows is to amplify personal narratives, whether it's in entrepreneurship, whether it's in the military community, or if it's being a woman of color, and in this case, being a Filipino American woman. You can check out the show notes of this episode to get all the details of these shows. I hope that you will consider subscribing to at least one of them or reaching out to me on social media to stay in touch. Again, I can't thank you all enough for a very successful first season here at Generic Conversations, and I look forward to seeing what season two will look like. All right. Thank you for taking time to listen to my final announcements for season one. Let me go ahead and introduce the final guests that I have for Generic Conversations. I am very fortunate to wrap up this show with Laura Perks, a PR coach with 15 years experience. And in this conversation, you'll be thinking about being relatable by sharing the good and ugly parts of your story. Also, whose approval are we really seeking when we seek the approval of others? And lastly, the importance of saying no and how to do it. I can't thank you all enough for being part of my podcasting journey. And with that said, please enjoy this final conversation with Laura Perks. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Generic Conversations. I'm your host, Jen Amos. And on this show, I am very fortunate to have candid conversations with amazing individuals that I hope you'll end up saying, I needed this, or I needed to hear this, however you want to say it. So for today's conversation, I'm fortunate to be having it with Laura Perks. Laura Perks is a PR coach with 15 years experience. She works with female coaches, authors, and entrepreneurs to help them elevate their expertise in media. Laura, welcome to the show. Hi. Yeah, very happy to have you. I just really enjoyed talking with you a little bit offline. And we both were just candidly sharing our dirty laundry of the week. So I just want to thank you just early on for your transparency and your openness before we recorded. And I'm sure that we'll have a very transparent and open conversation today as well. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Like I just kind of said before we started the recording, the sooner you can get down and dirty, the kind of easier it is to break down barriers and really connect with people and have a genuine and honest conversation. And that's what I'm all about. Yeah, absolutely. I find that when I like, let's say self-deprecate or I'm the first to like point out my flaws or share my stories of, you know, struggle and what have you, people just 
seem to open up like almost immediately. And so that's kind of like my role or what I try to strive to do is to create a safe space for people to open up because if they open up, then I open up that much more. And then it's just kind of the snowball effect of like, oh, you're going to share that? Let me share this. (laughs) And so I like being around just people who are very comfortable being in the present with me and sharing their story and life lessons and just what they're up to nowadays. So you know, it's fun. I enjoy it a lot, especially for people that I'm meeting for the first time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And one thing that I kind of, is really at the heart of everything I teach is as soon as you open up, people can relate to you Mm -hmm. and have that, I needed to hear that moment. Mm -hmm. And you realize that actually being vulnerable a lot of the time is where the magic happens. So I'm all about being open and honest, especially on social media, because it can be a place where everything's picture perfect and everyone has the most amazing life. And if you're not in that space, it can really have an effect on your everyday life and how you think about yourself and how you view your relationships and where you're heading. So for me, when I work with people, I always say, share your story. You know, Mm. we don't just want the good or the bad, we actually want the ugly because that's when people can really start relating to you. And that's where honest conversations happen. That's where you build relationships. And that's also where, like I said, that the magic happens. And so many women who I've worked with, once they've stepped into that power and they've given themselves permission to be open and honest, it just completely changes the game for them. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about holding this off till later, but since we've been really talking about this already offline and in this moment, I thought I can kind of dig a little deeper now into this conversation. So Laura, I'm just curious from your perspective, why do you think that it takes us or maybe women in particular so long to, let's say, air out the dirty laundry? Like, you know, I was just telling you about this beforehand, you know, offline about how, for me personally, I think that I had been comfortable with whatever pain or dirty laundry I was keeping. And like, I was so comfortable with it that I think I was almost afraid to let go because I don't know who I'd be without that pain. And so I'm curious from your perspective and like, why, why do we hold on to it so long or why does it take us so long before we're like, you know what, I should share that because it will serve people. Like we know that logically, but emotionally, why does it take so long? Do you think? I think And I know it sounds like a cliche, but it's something we're taught from our elders Mm. and then it's something that they've been taught from their elders. So this is like a generational problem. Mm. And when I look back to, you know, when I was a child and, you know, my grandparents would look after us a lot, you know, there were kind of four of us who were a similar age. So our parents would literally kind of leave us with nan and granddad and we'd have Mm -hmm. this most amazing time. But we weren't ever really, and I know this is very different for different, different families, but my family isn't very tactile. We're not particularly touchy feely. We're not overly loving people in expressing our emotions. So I think it all gets bottled up mm-hmm. and it almost becomes too difficult to open up because you don't know what's going to be on the other side. Yeah, I can hear that. It's also, I think, part of the struggle of opening up is not having had a role model or examples of what it means to open up. 
And I could really relate to that. And I feel like I can agree with you, not that I have the stats or anything, but I feel like at least from a personal experience, I can agree with you that expressing yourself and being open and sharing your story is generational. I think about my own mom who you know, she's very much very task oriented. Like, were you fed? Do you have a roof over your head? Are you married? (laughs) You know, like, okay, you're good. Like, that's all I need to know. That's all I need to care about. And so she never really modeled for me what it's like if you are going through, if you have problems. Like, so I lost my dad when I was really young. And the way that my mom showed her grief was really keeping it to herself. And so that was my model growing up of like, oh, if you have strong, quote unquote, negative emotions, you bottle it up, you keep it in, you don't share it because for whatever reason, it's taboo. It's not normal to, you know, share your feelings. And so for me, it really took till five plus years ago where I had to learn to start being okay, being open about my feelings and come to find just like what you mentioned, Laura, there, it turned out there were people that needed that too. And sometimes you have to open up so that other people can give themselves permission to open up. So yeah, I think that is a very interesting observation. I never really looked at it that way, but I could completely agree from personal experience that it is a generational issue that people don't open up and not having those examples of what do you do when you want to talk, you want to open up and express your feelings. And this is the thing. And, and again, kind of relating back to my childhood, everything kind of revolved around being good. Yeah. And if you were good, you were rewarded. And if you were naughty, you were punished. Mm-hmm. And there almost wasn't any room for error. There wasn't ever any room for, well, let's discuss what's going on. Let's figure out why this is happening. Why have you just reacted in that way? And it's only when I started working with a psychotherapist last year that I really got to understand myself on a deeper level. I understood trigger points. Mm -hmm. I understood beliefs, where they'd come from, were they even true. Mm -hmm. And it really opened my eyes up to a lot of things Boundaries being one of them. And I know we discussed that before. Because I've pretty much gone through my life being kind of good girl Laura. Mm -hmm. And not that I want to be naughty. I don't want to go and break the law. I don't want to kind of do really shocking stuff that's going to land me in trouble. But it's almost I turn up and present myself as somebody who's not entirely me. Mm -hmm. And it's really difficult to then live up to this expectation that other people have of you of being, oh, well, you know, she's really nice and lovely, Laura. And I'm like, yeah, but Mm. do you know what? Behind closed doors, I'm not always very nice. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. It comes out in other ways. It always does. There's always an outlet. You know, you always have to find some kind of outlet. I just think about my exes, you know, my past boyfriends, particularly one from college where he was so just really nice to everyone else. But when it came to me, I think he became neglectful and he would share his grudges. He'd share how he really felt about the world. And it's like, yeah, on the surface, you could seem nice, but like, because you're so comfortable with me, I really get to see what's going on. And I find that for a lot of relationships, you know, the outlet is the spouse, unfortunately. So it's interesting. I mean, you can think that you're nice and act nice and tell yourself you're nice for so long, but eventually it's going to come out, you know, one way or the other. And if you don't deal with it early on, you know, not only do you hurt yourself and some people say it's fine. I can hurt myself. I don't care. I'll take it. But 
you also have to consider who you will hurt, like someone that you do love. And even though I think about how my mom and how she closed off and, you know, her dad was the same, you know, whole family is like the same way. They don't talk about feelings and stuff. You know, that affected me negatively because, you know, at least in America where feelings are everything, <laughs> like feel your feelings and stuff, or at least that's the trend nowadays, like mental health is alive and, and so valued and encouraged. It's hard to have kind of told myself that I had deserved that type of help. In the UK, we kind of have this saying that I think is pretty synonymous with a lot of Brits is we have this stiff upper lip. <laughs> it's almost whatever's going on, almost like don't show it to other people, almost just kind of, kind of like a keep calm and carry on, like all these phrases. That's that true. Of, That's true. <laughs> come out of the UK and it's like, but this isn't good, you know, just have a stiff upper lip, just, just deal with it and move on. It isn't healthy for anyone really. Yeah. And you know, to add upon that, I think that if we don't know what to model after in terms of opening up, we tend, at least I think for myself, like we tend to act in extremes. So it's like, if you can't talk about the problems you're going through, you automatically think I'm a failure, right? I couldn't do it. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't memorize the lines well enough, or I couldn't get my job right. You know, I think we think in that extremes, at least that's, that's what I've come to realize about myself in the recent days, like through counseling is like, oh, like if I think that they don't love me, then I should just leave them, you know, <laughs> like just all those <laughs> Extremes, when I could have just said like, hey, I'm feeling I need you right now. You know what I mean? So I'm just giving like general examples, but also like that communication, the language you need in the middle to prevent going to the extreme or, you know, ultimately, you know, shutting down or not being open about those things. So Laura, what I'm curious about is what was the catalyst for you to see a psychotherapist last year? Because I imagine that you had... I mean, you put up with all of this all your life, <laughs> you know, until a year ago. And I'm curious what led you to be like, I need help. Like, I need help. I need to see a professional. Actually, something triggered before last year that really actually started me on this journey of self-development and self-discovery. And I have to hold my hand up and admit that I put myself under a lot of pressure because I have very high expectations of myself. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily other people I'm seeking approval from. I need approval from me. Mm -hmm. And it must have been, could have been three years ago even. And things were starting to come on top of me. But because I didn't have access to the tools that I needed, I didn't recognize it. So although I could feel it inside me, like my stomach would constantly be in knots. Mm. If anyone said anything that I thought was even remotely a criticism of me I'd attack you know I built a wall so high that no one could could kind of come in so I'd almost actually built myself into this kind of tomb of just toxicity and actually Mm. I was the one who was building it around me and I remember this one particular evening and we'd had a foster dog and this is going to sound really random. So we had a foster dog. <laughs> I'm, I'm tracking. <laughs> so we already have or had three dogs. Mm-hmm. And one of them was particularly challenging. So bringing in a fourth dog, we weren't entirely sure what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And it was fine for a couple of days. And I remember that I took all four dogs in the car to my parents' house. You know, they literally live the other side of the village where I am. So it's like seven minutes drive. Mm -hmm. 
And I turn up at my mum's and the dogs start fighting in the back of the car. Mm. And I'm like, well, I'm now trapped because if I open the car door, they're going to just bolt and I'm not going to be able to control the situation. So my mum's standing at the window. She's like waving at me and I'm like screaming through the, <laughs> through the window. And she's like, what's going on? Yeah. And it was like, I need you to help me. But because I was in this kind of real state and I was really wound up, she was almost like, she couldn't hear me. So I was having to scream louder. So then I mm. probably looked like a psycho. And then when we got into my mum's, the foster dog and our youngest dog then literally started fighting. So I had to pull them apart. I got bitten. So mm. my nervous system has gone through the roof. Yeah. And this knot that's been in my tummy for a while is even tighter. And do you know, I don't even know what the sequence of events was. It may have been the same day. It may have been another day. But again, I remember I'd been at my parents and, you know, sometimes you just really can't be bothered to cook dinner and you think, do you know what? I'm driving past the takeaway. I'm just going to stop and get a takeaway on the way home. So I pulled up outside. We're having fish and chips. I pulled up outside the shop and there was a queue and it was Mm. like, oh my God, there's a queue. I thought, right, I'm just going to give my husband a call. So I'm on the phone to him and the guy I'd parked in front of starts shouting at me. Okay. I didn't realize, but I parked that little bit too close to his car and he mm. couldn't get out. Mm. What I needed to hear at this point was, I'm really sorry, do you mind reversing? I can't get out. But no, he decided to be rude. Mm. And in a split second, I decided to wind down the window and basically yell at him. So my husband stood on the phone and he's like, what's going on? What are you doing? What's the matter? And I'm literally screaming at this guy. Like, had I not have been on the phone, I think I was two seconds away from actually getting out of the car and Mm -hmm. causing like a real scene. And in that moment, I didn't care. I didn't care if I looked like a psycho. I didn't care if I was harmful to him. It was the fact that I was in this state and he'd done something that I found incredibly disrespectful Mm-hmm. And it just blew up. And I was like, I can't go on like this because this isn't healthy for me. This yeah. isn't healthy for people around me. And I need to just like take ownership of this because this isn't a problem that's just come up. You know, anger issues and, and feeling like pressure is yeah. something I've experienced for a few years. So I started working with a life coach and she again kind of taught me some techniques to calm down in situations like that, how to self-soothe, how to stop it from getting to that stage so quickly. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest lessons she taught me was that I don't have to accept somebody else's shit suitcase. Mm. (laughs) She was like, you don't have to take on everybody else's problems. You don't Mm -hmm. have to accept other people's baggage. You can say no. And it was almost, oh, really? Because I'd just gone through life just just taking it, just taking it. I was always the one that people would come to to unravel their woes on or they'd have a problem and they needed help. It was always me. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I'd help the situation, but I'd take it on. Like, you know, you were saying as an empath, you you just – you absorb it, don't you? But then you don't have an outlet for it to go anywhere. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that kind of really started me on my self-development journey. 
And with the psychotherapist, if I'm honest, she was actually a client of mine. So mm-hmm. she'd signed up to work with me to raise her profile, to get in the media, to teach more people, you know, her kind of skills. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, we well, you know it's really important if we're going to work together that you actually experience what I do. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm all for that, really up for it. And, and that's really the only reason. Yeah, that- yeah. It was work together, but it blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds crazy, but just spending one hour with someone and the focus is only on you, mm. you have nowhere to escape, you can't hide, you can't pretend because these people know when you're lying. <laughs> right, right. And they challenge your perceptions and your beliefs. And yeah, I realized that I've had zero boundaries in my life. And I know because if I'm invited to something, I feel I have to say yes because I don't right. want to upset the person who's invited me. Even when I know full well I'm going to make an excuse why I can't go the day of, the night before, the hour before. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because I was okay with that, I didn't see that as anything bad. Mm-hmm. I just thought, well, that's just how I am and that's how it's going to be. Yeah. And then she kind of taught me if you say no, from the offset, you're not going to have to get into this panic mode. You're not then going to have to think, what excuse am I going to make up today? Just say no. And as an example, I said yes to doing something that I didn't really want to do, but I, I went ahead and did it and I got a speeding ticket. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> to get where I, no, so to get where I needed to be, I got a speeding ticket and I was like, okay, so that was the lesson. That was... I got hit there financially because I didn't say no. (laughs) You know, and and I remember seeing a post on Instagram some time ago that, and I'm wondering if you've ever had an issue with this as well. Like, you know, you mentioned like you would have to explain to people or like if I were to cancel last minute, I would always feel like I had to come up with like an elaborate story of like why I couldn't make it, you know, some kind of emergency story. And there was this post I saw on Instagram that said, you could just say no, and that's okay. You could just say, you know what, I can't show up today, and I hope you understand. And I think even for myself, that took a long time for me to get to that place, even just in a calendar invite, just saying decline, you know, just saying, hey, I have to reschedule. Do you feel like you ever had that issue where you had to over-explain, you know, why you couldn't show up somewhere? Oh, 100%. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't just say, no, sorry. It always <laughs> had to be a reason why and you know even if people say to me no I can't come I'm like okay cool right so I I accept people saying no but for some reason yeah there has to be you know a whole essay that I write there needs to be a reason (laughs) for a reason for a reason yeah so yeah I mean it's and there was something that I again I see on social media a lot is when people say oh sorry I'm late I didn't want to come And I'm like, yes. I like that. (laughs) It's it's okay to be blind. You know, it's interesting, just like what you said. I feel like I can relate where I'm okay if people cancel on me last minute. I'm like, oh, that's fine. Totally. But I have this strong obligation that if I am to cancel, 
like I have to over explain. And like I mentioned, I feel like I've gone to a better place where it's like, nope, like even there was even this meeting the other day where I knew I should have been at. And it was a bunch of volunteers that were meeting. And I just thought, even though I had it on my calendar a month in advance, I was looking at my schedule that day for other projects I was working on. And I just declined. I was like, you know what? I can't make it. And it is what it is. Like, if they really need me, they will hound me down and say, hey, Jen, we need you. But you know, I haven't experienced any consequences yet from doing that. And I think maybe that is the fear maybe some people have is that maybe like maybe there's a consequence if you do say no. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as well, the ego comes into it a lot. And I don't always like using the word ego because it tends to polarize people. People either see it Mm -hmm. as a negative or they just take it for what it is. But I think when we decline, we're almost so worried about what other people are going to think about us declining, Mm -hmm. which is when all these elaborate excuses come up. And it's almost like, who actually are we to spend so much time worrying about what other people are thinking about why we're declining? Because if they're that concerned, they'll call or they'll send a message and say, Oh no, what's wrong? Or they may think, well, do you know what? I'm turning up because it's a meeting and if they miss it, they miss it. Right. Right. Yeah. It's almost like being a martyr for your excuse of why you can't show up. It's like, oh, I can't because of A, B, and C. And I'm so sorry. Like I would totally be there, but it could just be, I can't be there, period. And I'll see you at the next meeting. But no, I think that's really important. I appreciate you sharing that and being so transparent about, you know, what you had to go through and seeing that for you, as nice as you can be, like your outlet or the way that it comes out I think if we're not on top of setting these boundaries, it comes out in wrong ways. It'll come out anyway and in ways that we can't control. And it, it, it reminds me of, you know, your story you just shared where, you know, this guy that you parked really closely to just blew up on you and then you wanted to blow it back. And I'm sure that's not what you had intended to do, but that was probably an accumulation of all the times you've been so nice to people. And so just understanding that, that's going to happen if you don't stay on top of setting healthy boundaries or really communicating like what you're feeling and what you're going through. It can come out in different ways and it can come out in the most unexpected situations, such as the parking situation you had. Yeah, I know. And actually, even earlier on, I was scrolling through Instagram and Mel Robbins had put up a post of her in the bath. And she was like, it's 2.30 in the afternoon. I'm working. I don't have time for a bath. But because everything's getting on top of me, I'm snapping at people and it's Mm. people in business meetings. She said, Mm. yes, it can happen at home, which I'm not proud of. But at least when it's at home, you're in a safe space. The people know that then there's something going on. She said, but I'm snapping at people in business meetings. I need to do something about this. She said, so I'm in the bath. (laughs) And I just thought, yeah, like... What, I mean, because I have baths and showers at really random times. I work from home. I kind mm-hmm. of run my own schedule. So I do sometimes get in the shower at like one o'clock in the afternoon. And I think my neighbors must think I'm like really weird. <laughs> it's almost like we have to give ourselves permission to relax. Yeah, yeah. And take time out to recharge the batteries and, and nourish ourselves. And especially when like you're running your own business and you're having to be everything to everyone and, you know, have a perfect relationship and have perfect animals or perfect children. <laughs> it gets too much. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Have a bath at 2.30 in the afternoon. It's fine. 
Yeah. It's like, you know, you think about in football, they take timeouts, like that's okay. Like they yeah. take the time to, you know, go to the side and discuss like, okay, what about, what our plan of action now moving forward? Yeah. What's our game plan now? And so we can do that. We're allowed to do that in our personal lives as well. And even if it means it bleeds into our professional life where we have to take a break. Yeah. So Laura, I'd like to dive into a snapshot of your life today. And I think the first question I have is with all that you know now, about setting healthy boundaries and, you know, where you're at and how you've learned how to kind of evolve from being a people pleaser to, yeah, like I said, uh, setting healthy boundaries. How do you feel like those lessons apply to your life today? And I'm curious if it also contributes to what you do in your work. That's a very good question. Growing up, and again, I don't know if I actually felt this when I was growing up or if Mm -hmm. it's just when you look at it, like in retrospect, is I always felt a little bit lost. Mm. Like I didn't really feel like I, I, I belonged, which is crazy because I was like a really sociable child. I was really popular, but I always felt like I needed a wingman. I always needed someone there to support me who I knew had my back. And it's really crazy because in the work that I do, I'm meeting a lot of people I've never met before. I'm turning up to journalist meetings and I've never Mm. met a journalist before, but I'm okay with that. Like I'm more than happy to go to a gym I've never been to and do a class with people I've never met. I'm super confident in that environment. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because there are boundaries. It's almost like I'm turning up for a class and all I need to do is just show up and do this class. I don't need to talk to anyone. No one has any expectation of me. Whereas in a social situation, that's where I can freeze because although I'm very chatty, I always panic that I'm going to be left on my own. Mm. And no one wants to be the person in the corner at a party that nobody's talking to. And that very much came out in my 20s when I would drink myself out of a situation. Wow. I'd be really uncomfortable. So I'd just get really drunk. Mm -hmm then I'd wake up the next day and I'd have a horrendous hangover and I'd be like, I don't actually know what I did last night. Mm. This could get dangerous. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, if you black out, that's, wow. Okay. I mean, I'm thinking to myself like, yeah, it's okay to drink, but if you wake up the next morning and you don't know what happened, it's like, okay, yeah, that is definitely a problem. Yeah. And I, I, I did it even, I may even, was I early thirties? No, I was probably just kind of late twenties. Mm -hmm. I went to a friend's wedding and the only people I knew at the wedding were actually the bride and groom. So this for me is not a recipe for success. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And my husband, who wasn't my husband at the time, he was driving. So I was just literally drinking wine all day long. Wow. And I was like super drunk and it got to the point where he was like, okay, we're going to go home. And on the journey home, he had to pull over because I needed to throw up. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, just so you know, there is a police car behind us. And now they're kind of pulling over. Oh, boy. <laughs> he said, but it's okay. I think they saw you throwing up and they drove on. But you, and it was almost, even then, I don't think I, I don't think I realized I had a problem. Mm-hmm. And that I was drinking because I felt insecure and I didn't feel safe in the environment I was in. Mm-hmm. Whereas now I know that if I'm not going to feel comfortable in an environment, I'll, I'll turn down an offer to, I'll come out for dinner and drinks. And I think to myself, 
am I going to feel uncomfortable? Yes. Mm -hmm. Am I going to drink too much? Yes. (laughs) Am I going to wake up in the morning and wonder what I've said and to whom and who I may have offended? Yes. Mm -hmm. In which case, the answer is, oh, I'm really sorry, I I can't come out. Mm. And I'm okay with that now because I think to put myself in a situation that's not healthy for me, it's better to kind of say no than then worry about it and then drink too much. (laughs) Yeah. And then just not, not feel kind of great. So part of me feels like I should. And I remember I was having a conversation with a friend of mine last year and I was like, oh, I've been invited out tonight and I don't know if I should go. And she said to me, Laura, if you're having to ask me for permission, whether you should go out or not, the answer is no, you should not go out. (laughs) She Mm. said, but you should be able to make up this. Don't think, oh, I should go out or I might offend the host. Just say no, because you have to do what's right for you. That makes me think of a motto I sort of tell myself where if the answer isn't a sure yes, it should be a no. No. Yeah. Like it just be an absolute no, because like an indecision is a decision, you know, and you could hurt people that way if you are indecisive. Like one, you hurt yourself because you're putting yourself in a situation that you weren't entirely sure you wanted to be in. And then two, you hurt the other person or the other party because they think, oh, you know, she didn't really want to be here or however you end up showing up in that space. Like in in this case, you show up to the wedding really drunk, (laughs) you know? And so it's, I appreciate you sharing that and really just kind of giving multiple examples of what it means to, you know, be a people pleaser and how it affects and impacts not just you, but people in your life. And I think people pleasers in general need to understand that, that it, it hurts you and others more than it helps you, mm. you know, to say yes to something that you knew deep down you wanted to say no to. It's true. <laughs> it's very true. And so I appreciate you really elaborating on that. Yeah. And if anybody's listening and thinks, oh my God, that was me, there is, <laughs> there is a way through it. You know, <laughs> there is another way. And, you know, now I very rarely drink if I do, you know, really sensible. So, you know, my girlfriends who I went to university with are like, oh my God, you've changed. And it's like, I had to. Yeah. Because, I mean, I dread to think actually of some of the situations that I very nearly got myself into. Mm -hmm. I think that could have just gone the wrong way really quickly. And sometimes I think I'm actually really lucky that it didn't go the wrong way. And this may just be something that people go through in general, but the older you get, the more self-aware you become. Mm -hmm. And it's almost, if I had the confidence that I have now than I did in my 20s, I'd be a completely different person. Oh yeah, for sure. And not necessarily a better person because obviously all my experiences up until this point have led me here. But I remember spending a lot of my 20s just feeling very uncomfortable in my own skin, feeling like I didn't belong. And again, feeling like I had to say yes to things I didn't want to do. And, you know, at university, I mean, I don't know if it's different like in the States, but in the UK, it's a very social culture. It's a lot of it's related around alcohol. Mm. So some evenings I'd pretend I had a migraine so that I didn't go out because saying, no, I don't want to go out may not have been accepted. In my head, it wouldn't have been accepted. It was easier to lie than say, I don't actually want to go out. Right, right. Now, at 37, I'd be like, no, I'm not going out and I'm cool with that. 
And yeah, you absolutely. think what you like about that because that says more about you than it does me. But yeah. you, have, you have to go on this journey and kind of come out the other side and, and realize, <laughs> you know, all the things that have happened that you probably actually kind of, is it self-fulfilled? I'm not entirely sure what the... The self-fulfilling prophecy? Yeah, it's almost like you've actually created that situation. Therefore, yeah. you have to put up with the consequences. I want to add to that because I was just thinking how we think about trying to fit in and thinking like, oh, what will they think of me? When in reality, we don't really know what other people are actually thinking about us. <laughs> and we don't even know if that's what they expect of us. You know, and to think that we've created this like alternate reality in our head that we have to be a certain way for certain people. Now, yes, some people will be vocal about it. Like, oh, you've changed. As you mentioned, your, your college friends have brought it up. But like, even so, I don't think that's a negative observation. I think it's just an observation. It's how we interpret it that make us think, oh my gosh, they probably don't like me anymore. You know? <laughs> like, oh my God, they think like they think I've turned into an awful person or, or yeah. what have you. And I think it's all in our own perception of how we see ourselves and how we want to hold ourselves up in front of other people. But in reality, they probably weren't thinking about you in that way anyway. Like, it's interesting going back to, I I remember getting in touch with some, like when I've been reconnecting with some friends lately, because, you know, pandemic, people are thinking about other people and reaching out. And I've had people who kind of just talk about the good old times and their perception of the good old times was not the perception that I had. (laughs) And it made me realize like, oh, all those thoughts I had about myself of how I had to carry myself, like they weren't even thinking that. Like they thought, they actually thought very highly of me. And I was the one being so hard on myself, you know, on the way I carried myself, just so many things. And I think when we realize that it's all in the mind, right? But the important thing that you've mentioned in sharing your story so far, Laura, is that you got help. You got help from a professional to help you see outside of that and be like, you don't have to, just like what you said earlier on, you don't have to carry other people's shit bags. (laughs) You don't have to carry. And part of that is your perception of their expectations of you. Yeah. You know, so. Back to not having boundaries. (laughs) Because they don't know either. So they're just going to keep. Pushing and pushing until you say stop. Right, right. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for really diving deep into that. Because I think that I like to believe a large portion of the population in the world really are people pleasers, you know, so it's really good to talk about it and also, you know, listen in on kind of the the symptoms or the mannerisms of a people pleaser Mm -hmm. and realize the impact of it, not just to yourself and to other people. So thank you for being so thorough about your story and, and how you continue to work through that. Yeah. And this is what I say to people all the time, and especially clients who I work with, it's, always about sharing your story because other people need to hear that whatever they're going through is normal yeah that there is help available but also that there is a life on the other side yeah and I think if you can break down any barriers in what people believe or perceive therapy or counseling or coaching to be it's that if I've been through the journey and I've survived then you can as well yeah And, you know, I didn't choose to to kind of work with a life coach because I was an alcoholic or because, but there was no real defining 
trauma that had happened that kind of forced my hand. It just happened at a time when it needed to. And, mm-hmm. and this happens to me a lot. People come into my life at the right time. Mm. I may not recognize it immediately, but then in hindsight, I'm like, uh, okay. So I didn't seek help. It was almost like help was there when I needed it and I mm. was awakened to it. Yeah. So it was almost once I realized, okay, this isn't healthy. This is something I need to address. Oh, and look, it just so happens that so-and-so has popped into my life. <laughs> yeah. It just so happens one of my clients is a psychotherapist. <laughs> like this just yeah, works I know. out. <laughs> I love it. Well, Laura, you've been hinting a lot about your clients and the work that you do for them. Why don't you, you know, really in these last five minutes or so, share a little bit about what you do today professionally. And I know I mentioned it in your bio, but why don't you elaborate on that and how you're helping women today in, you know, providing your PR services? Yeah, I will do. So, I mean, I've always been in PR and it was something that I studied at university and I've been doing it ever since. So I haven't ever had like an aha moment where Mm. I've left corporate and followed my dreams or I've turned a hobby into a passion. You know, I just kind of always really loved the industry. And, you know, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a journalist. You know, I'm super curious. I love connecting with people. I love having deep conversations because it's in those conversations where you really kind of unravel the hidden gems. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And especially when we run our own businesses, we forget to give ourselves credit for a lot of the work that we do because we're always striving to reach that next goal. Yeah. Yeah. So it's when I have conversations with people and just delving deeper and asking questions, that's when like golden nuggets come out and it's like, wow, okay, this is what sets you apart from the other coaches in the industry, or this Mm. is what sets your book apart. And what I've really found is a lot of the female entrepreneurs I work with have created their business out of a need that they had themselves. Mm. Mm -hmm. So the psychotherapist I worked with, she got into psychotherapy because she herself had therapy, was so amazed with how it transformed her that she then you know, started to study it and now she runs her own practice. Again, I've worked with a mental health practitioner and again, you know, he's been diagnosed with bipolar. See, he's a man. So I do work with men as well. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> gets really You're not crazy. biased, <laughs> not gender biased. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, he's had bipolar for all of his life and he can see the need for people that need mental health support, whether they've you know, been diagnosed, whether it's just they need to build more strength when it comes to their kind of mental health and their resilience. Mm -hmm. And it's just fascinating the journey that people go through, that they don't even realize that they've got an incredible story to share that will inspire so many more people. Yeah. And, you know, my biggest thing at the moment, and this is what really kind of speaks to my soul, is to make an impact. Mm -hmm. And I think, Again, we've all been taught to focus on wealth, but for me, wealth is a byproduct of impact. Mm. So if you can help one person change their life, that's worth way more to me than being paid like a million pounds. If I'm paid a million pounds because I've helped somebody make an impact, then, you know, I'm all for it. But for me, it's very much kind of service over success. It's being a champion of other people and I guess being that mouthpiece 
So a lot of my clients have never been in the media before. They don't know how to approach a journalist, which is why now I'm also kind of going into mentoring and coaching because people have the power within them. They just don't know the process to follow. Right. And I'm like, well, look, I've got all these years experience. Why right. am I holding it in myself? Why don't I share this so that other people can learn what to do? Learn that actually it's really easy to get in the media. They just don't know where to start. It's like, like I always say to people, it's like baking a cake. Mm-hmm. Baking a cake is super simple. If you have a list of ingredients and instructions on how to bake a cake, if mm-hmm. I said to you, oh, can you just go and make me a, a chocolate sponge cake? You'd be like, uh, <laughs> not sure. So you may have an idea of the ingredients, but then you've got to guess the temperature of the oven. You have to guess how long it needs to be in. Right. You, it's not a relaxing thing to do then because you're constantly up and down checking the oven looking right yeah because that's not just any old cake that's a sponge cake (laughs) and so it must be very specific to make (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then you know doesn't matter how delicious it is if you serve it to someone and they were expecting a sponge cake but it turns out like a brownie they're probably going to be disappointed (laughs) (laughs) right right so yeah the, the biggest thing for me is what I teach to to my clients is Firstly, you do have a story to share. Secondly, you can impact a lot of people. And then obviously the byproduct of that is that you then attract more clients, you earn more money, and then everyone's a winner. Yeah, I love it. You know, in a way, people pleasing could work in positive ways because if you are doing what you can to help your clients, you create this win-win situation. And I think ultimately that's what people pleasers want to do is to create a win-win you know, situation. Yeah. And I mean, we've already spoken thoroughly about the negative impacts of that, but I think it sounds like the work that you do, that's the positive side of your personality. I mean, also having had the help that you needed to do it in a way that sets boundaries for yourself and, you know, and therefore really help your clientele. And this is the beautiful thing, I think, about running your own business is that you can then teach what you've learned. Yeah, for sure. So now when you work with me, you don't just get access to the media. I can help you on confidence issues. I can help you with imposter syndrome and self-sabotage because I live that. (laughs) Like That's still something I'm working with. So that's why I tend to work a lot with women because as a woman, I can understand all the other stuff that comes up. Yeah. Men are very different in they know what they want and they're just happy for you to go out and get it. Whereas with women, actually, that's where the relationship building piece really comes in because it's the trust and it's the confidence and all Mm -hmm. that amazing stuff. Again, it's kind of like a byproduct of working with clients. And for me, my clients do become friends. You know, we hang out on Facebook, we go out for dinner because I like going out for dinner. I'll always say yes to going out for dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Girls got to eat. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, so for, so for me, it's all about just building genuine relationships and then showing people that you can impact other people by being vulnerable and opening up and sharing your story. Beautiful. I know that you have a PR powwow for anyone that is interested in chatting more with you, a free 30 minute one. So Laura, thank you so much for our conversation today. I needed it. And I hope that our listeners got some value from this conversation as well. For anyone that wants to learn more about what you do, your PR powwow, or even just connect with you, how can they do that? How can they find you online? 
So the best place is probably to go to my website because that's literally got everything about me. It talks about the results that I deliver for my clients. And again, you can understand a little bit more about the ways in which I work. So that is www.prwithperks.com. And then I'm across majority of social media channels as PR with Perks. So connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, or I'm on LinkedIn as Laura Perks. Fantastic. Uh, Any closing thoughts before we completely wrap up, Laura? Oh, closing thoughts. (laughs) I just feel like we had a good conversation today. I feel like there's, I feel like you can wrap it up. (laughs) (laughs) Let's summarize what the call is all about. So I would say set boundaries. That's, I think that's a big one. The second one is get comfortable with being uncomfortable because it is a cliche, but I think if you can open yourself up and be vulnerable, then you will attract the right type of clients into your business and into your life. You know, things happen for a reason. So kind of be open and willing to to take that on. And then I guess thirdly, it's always have self-belief. So know that you're here for a reason, know that you're here to make an impact and with the right people behind you, that can be like so easy and achievable for you. Yeah, I think that's a great way to wrap up and to emphasize is that we need people to remind us and give us the tools and the language to be the best version of ourselves so that we can serve other people and everything. So Laura, like I said, I needed this conversation. Thank you so much (laughs) for your time. And to our listeners, if you want to get a hold of Laura Perks, all of her contact information will be provided in the show notes in this episode. Or if you visit the website, genericpodcast.com, that's generic with a J as in Jen. And with that said, thank you all so much for listening. And we look forward to speaking with you in the next episode. Tune in next time. All right, we made it. We made it to the end of the final episode of season one. I want to personally thank you all again for being a part of my journey. I look forward to reconnecting with you all in season two. Again, if you want to check out other podcast shows and follow me in my podcasting journey, check out the show notes of this episode and you'll get a chance to check out the shows that I am currently hosting and will be hosting soon. Once again, I'm Jen Amos with Generic Conversations. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay sane, and I look forward to our next conversation. Take care.